We are wrapping up this series today on the five dysfunctions of a family. This week, I just want to start talking about what may be the most important one. You know, they, they say you want to save the best for last. So try to do that this morning. And my observation in my own personal families and kind of being as a pastor, I think I'm also supposed to be like a, a student of humanity. You know, I'm supposed to help shepherd people. So I just get this discernment. I develop that where I just look at people. And I observe people, and then I start to break down why people do what they do, what makes them tick. And then, of course, you then apply the Bible to help them tick a little better. And so, in doing that, I have found that dysfunctional families are stingy. They're stingy, but they're stingy with something specific. They're stingy with grace. They're really stingy with grace. And when I sit there and I think about what grace is, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of going off notes here a little bit, Nancy, but that scripture I just gave you was Jane, or John 1.14. And we hear in you know, the Gospel of John, he's describing who Jesus is right in the beginning. And he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, he tells us that the Word became flesh and was living among us. We beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, who is full of grace and truth. See, Jesus was full of grace, but we also know that Jesus wasn't just the Son of God. We know that Jesus was this carpenter. We know that Jesus had a a really important responsibility of coming here and helping to, in, in like a spiritual carpentry sense, to build a bridge. A bridge that would take us from our fallen nature to God to help restore that relationship. You know, our, our sin had created this, this divide, this, this gulf where we couldn't reach God no matter how much we tried. But yet Jesus, not being stingy with grace, but being generous with grace, being full of grace, he was able to build that bridge for us so that we had access to the Father. And see, unfortunately, we as human beings, we're stingy with grace. We don't share grace freely. Because we're not full of grace, like Jesus was full of grace, and we ought to be. If we call ourselves Christians, that means that we're to be Christ-like, and that means that we should be like Christ, who is full of grace. But dysfunctional families are stingy with grace. And this goes back to even last week, where dysfunctional families are selfish, because it's all about me. What can I get out of it? What's in it for me? But did Jesus model that behavior? What's in it for him? I mean, I I remember that famous, famous scene of Jesus being up on that cross. That, That famous scene where he has now been punished for our sins. And yet Jesus is crying out, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they do. (laughs) He's not like, smite them, punish them, strike them all dead. These rebellious people, I did everything for them. Give them what they deserve. No, he's like, forgive them. He's saying, God, give them what they don't deserve. Which is the very definition of grace. 
grace is defined as unmerited favor. Unmerited means you can't earn it and you don't deserve it. And so I often sit there and I, and I try to just explain it in simple terms where grace is getting what you don't deserve in a good sense. You know, I think we've all been on the bad sense of grace, the perversion of grace, where we get what we don't deserve, but it's when we've been punished for things that we didn't actually do. But true grace is getting that favor, getting the blessings, getting the good things that we didn't earn and we couldn't earn and we don't deserve. And Jesus did that. He, he gave it to us. Jesus modeled behavior for each and every one of us. He came and he said, hey, follow me. Follow me. I'm going to show you the way. Why? Because I am the way. Do what I do. Imitate me. Follow this pattern, this behavior. That's what Jesus was doing. He's like, I'm showing you what it's like to be a human because I am. But I'm showing you also what it's like to be a child of a God because I am. And it's what I want for you. Jesus is showing us through his life, here's what the best life looks like. Here's what the abundant life looks like. Do what I do. It's the best for you. But see, Jesus laid out this pattern of behavior that we can take from our families and how to apply it to our families. You see, as Jesus laid out that behavior, some of the early apostles, they, they caught that. They saw it. And they were generous, gracious enough to us to write down that pattern. For those of us that weren't walking in that day with him, they're like, hold on a second. I saw what Jesus did. Here's how wives should act. Here's how husbands should act. Here's how parents should act. And here's how children should act. Because he saw Jesus exemplifying that behavior. He saw the pattern. This early apostle that caught that was the apostle Paul. He saw that and he wrote down these instructions. First to the church of Ephesus. This church needed the instructions. They needed to know how to have a functional family, not a dysfunctional family. And so he wrote that down for them. But here we are thousands of years later. And we have that same writing for us. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to jump into Ephesians chapter 5. And I want us to look at this pattern. This pattern that, that Paul wrote down. A pattern that he saw Jesus lay out. A pattern that would help us be generous with grace and not stingy with grace. And so we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. And, and as we go through this, I want to show you three R's. It's going to be the role, the responsibility, and the reason. And at least a couple of these is going to apply to each one here. Ephesians chapter 5, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church. Not just the church in Ephesus, but the church here in Sheraton. Ephesians chapter 5, let's start here with verse 22. Wives, there's your first R. The first role, 
Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. And all of the husbands said, Amen. Um, <laughs> husbands love this one so much. Because we're like, Submit, woman! The problem is husbands want to stop there and they don't want to continue reading. Don't worry, husbands, you're next. But for the wives, this, this first is their role. Their role as a wife is a wife. The responsibility as a wife is to submit. And in our current culture, in our day and age, many wives hate this. Like when it comes to performing weddings, this is like the one word that wives will ask. So when you're doing a scripture reading, can we not say the submit? And I'm like, oh, now I'm going to say it even more. Because <laughs> apparently that's the one you don't like and it's the one you need most. And it comes down to them not understanding it. Because they think of the submission as a form of slavery, as a form of bondage. But Jesus is never about putting us in bondage. He's always about setting us free. And yet Jesus is telling wives that this submission is actually going to be freeing for you because I came to set the captives free. See, this submission is not about being in slavery. It's literally sub under mission. The mission. It's about coming under the mission. And he says, here's why. Here's the reason. The role is a wife. The responsibility is to submit. And the reason is because the husband is meant to be the head of the family, just as Christ is the head of the church. And if you think, why? God makes the rules. First and foremost, that's why. Why? Because he's God and you're not. And if you try to be God, well, you're going to mess things up pretty bad. Just think about what happens when your husband tries to play God. He messes things up pretty bad, doesn't he? No amens out of you. <laughs> so it's like, but this is the first thing is just because God is and God has set this. And from the very beginning, he laid this foundation out. But what happens if you guys are in a car and all of a sudden, this is like one of those driver's ed cars, you know, where you got a separate steering wheel. Can you imagine how successful you're going to be going down the road if you're both trying to steer in different directions? It's not going to work. Well, I want to go this way. No, I want to go this way. Yes, but I think we should go this route. It's going to be a little bit faster. Yeah, but this one might be a little bit safer. God lays this out and he's like, you need a clear direction. And here's the other problem. When it comes to the direction of your family, and I'm just sorry to say this, wives, but God's not going to speak to you about the direction of your family. He's speaking to the one that is in charge. And he's saying, husbands, here's the direction. If a wife thinks they know the best path, they're sorely mistaken. Because that's not their responsibility to be the leader. He's saying the leader is supposed to be the husband. And so what happens is all of a sudden, a wife that tries to take over the leading, when the husband is the one given the charge of leading, is leading them in a way that is not directed by God. It's leading them down a path that is different. 
And so what the wife should really do is what Paul's telling us. And it's exactly the modeled behavior that Christ laid out. He's like, hey, I'm I'm the one that God sent to lead the church. What I need you to do is come under that mission and help me lead the church. Can you imagine if the disciples would have went up to Jesus and been like, yeah, Jesus, I mean, yeah, you're good and all. And I know God's spoken to you. I mean, yes, I, I saw the clouds open. I saw the dove descend upon you. I get it. He spoke to you. But I think my experience and my personality would say that we should go a different way. I don't want to go your way, Jesus. How well is that going to work out? It's, it's not. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, wives, if you're not submitting, if you're not coming under this mission, you're acting just like the church that wouldn't be following Jesus' mission. And if you need a real-life example of that, what that would look like, look in our culture and see how divided we are. See how dysfunctional society is because the church has not been following Christ's way. And then you can see a direct parallel with why families are dysfunctional. Because we're not following God's way. So to submit is really just to come under that mission. It's for wives to say, I trust that God has spoken to my husband. And I'm going to follow that. Because as I'm following the husband's leading, I'm doing it as Christ's leading. Did did you see that? It it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. It's not just about submitting to the husband. It's about submitting to Christ. But husbands, I said you weren't off scot-free. See, apparently for wives, here's something that God also knew when he spoke to the Apostle Paul. He understood that wives can get it the first time around. If, If we just tell them, wives, submit. Because this is the method and the model that we laid out. It's just like the church. For husbands, we have these thick skulls. And it takes us a little bit more to get this. I I mean, I sit here and I look and I'm like, okay, so we got like three verses for the wives. And then we have like twice as many, almost three times as many for the husbands. Apparently husbands need continual reminders. We also need clarification because it says in verse 25... Husbands, love your wives. Husbands don't understand what that means. God knew this. And he's like, oh, yeah, husbands, you don't understand what loving means? Let me explain how you love and why you love. He says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present to her her, himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he sh- she should be holy without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respect her husband. 
So he's like, husbands, I, I, I know you're going to have this, this issue with loving because you're going to think you know it all and that you already know how to love, but you don't know how to love. I want you to love the way that Christ loved. And if you had any confusion of how Christ loved, he gave himself. He sacrificed himself. This is the responsibility that husbands have. Their role is a husband. Their responsibility is to love their wives in a sacrificial way, putting them before themselves, loving them as they would their own body. And he's saying this because the two become one. He's going back to Genesis and quoting this. The two have become one. Your wife is like your own flesh. When you're mistreating her and you're not loving her the way that Christ loves the church, you're abusing yourself. You want to know why you should do it? Because to not love your wife the way that Christ loves the church is called self-mutilation. You are harming yourself because she is part of yourself. You're hurting yourselves. And he's like, stop it. Don't do this. This is, this is the problem. And he's, he's talking, he's like, it's the same way that we take care of our bodies. We, we don't want to neglect our bodies. We want them to be healthy. We want them to be whole. They, we want them to do what it is that God called us to do. So we take care of it. We, we do. All of us take care of our bodies in some way, shape, or another. I mean, the, the little things that we do throughout the day. Things like brushing our teeth, flossing, washing hands, taking care of business in the bathroom instead of just making a mess of yourself. Typical, cleanly, hygiene things that we do. Why? Because we know it's good for us. And Paul's saying, it's good for you to take care of your wife. It's good for you to love your wife because she's part of you. And to not love her the way that Christ loved, to not love her in a way that is trying to nourish, cherish, to do it any other way is causing harm. This is how it needs to be done. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that as, as husbands, we have to walk around on eggshells with their wives and we have to be super careful, like they're delicate and they're so breakable. But we need to be aware that there are certain times when they are. We need to be students of our wives to learn what can and what can't you do. The, the same way that this limb that I have here it only bends one direction. And if I try to bend this in the opposite direction, I'm going to break it. I'm going to harm it. See, some people's wives, you can joke with. You can take a selfie with them and be like, girl, what's wrong with your face? And she'll laugh and she'll giggle. And then other wives, if you say that, you have completely crushed and destroyed them. And they'll put up this, this strong exterior. But what they're doing is they're creating this, this barricade. 
They're creating a barricade around them so that you don't hurt them anymore. And all that does is then it's like putting a cast on your arm. Well, if I bend this way, it breaks. Well, I'm going to put a brace on this. I'm going to make sure that this never bends that way again. But then it also can't be used the way it's supposed to be used. Whereas if we would love our wives as Christ loved the church, as he gave himself for the church, to help the church, to nourish the church, if we do that, then all of a sudden we're functioning the way that God has called us to function. We jump over here into chapter 6. Children, (laughs) you thought you were off. No, we got you too. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on this earth. The role here is for children. It's for children. The responsibility is to obey them and to honor them. And the reason we want to obey and honor our parents is so they don't take us out of this world as quickly as they brought us into this world. You've never had a parent say that to you, right? Mine said it often to me. I brought you into this world. I'll take you out of it. Don't test me, boy. And I stopped testing because I believe she would do it. I believe she would come up with some biblical justification for it too. <laughs> but it's this, it's this thing about obeying. And, and to obey because we want to have a long and a happy life means that as children... We don't sit there and say, well, yeah, but I was doing this. No, that's not obeying. That's talking back. And I didn't see that. Nope. I'm trying. Children, obey your parents after you talk back to them. Nope, that's not in there. It's just obey. It It is obey. And at the point when you don't have to obey would be when a child has left father and mother and then has clung to their spouse and created a new family. However, that child is still not off of a responsibility as a child because that child is still to honor father and mother. Yes, adult children, you still must honor your parents. And to honor them is to give them that which is due. Honor means give that which is due to the one in authority. The fact is, God put them in authority by making them your parents. And so for your entire life, if you want it to be long, honor them. I understand there are parents out there that are not good parents. They're not biblical parents. They're not godly parents. And they do a lot of harm to children. But that does not negate our responsibility of honoring them as the people that God used to give us life. Honor them in that role. Honor them in that position. That doesn't mean you excuse the bad behavior. It means what you do is you're no longer stingy with grace, but you're generous with it. Thank you for giving me life. Thank you. If nothing else, I appreciate that more than anything. 
You see, as, as children, as grown children, we've got to be able to honor those parents. As young children that have not been married, we have to obey our parents. This is right in the sight of the Lord. It's what he says to do. And then one more role. It goes on here in verse 4. It says, and you fathers, in this day we could actually say, and you parents, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Parents, don't provoke your children just to get them angry. That's not to say that you don't tell them to do something that you know is going to get them angry. Because let's just face this. Children who are not perfect get angry when they're told what to do. Why? Because they, just like the rest of humanity, is selfish and don't want to be told what to do. And they're going to get angry and they're going to talk back. And that's not what this is talking about. This is not talking about, oh, parents, don't tell them what to do because they're going to get mad. No. This is parents don't intentionally try to aggravate and irritate your children to the point that they just get angry. Because what you will then do is you will depict a picture of how parents operate with their children. And a parent is just going to aggravate and anger their child. And do you think that child is ever going to want to follow our heavenly father when our earthly fathers have just done everything to make us angry? No. Because then as parents, we're creating a barricade and a barrier rather than what Jesus did in creating a bridge. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have fun with your kids and you can't pick on them every now and then and you can't position yourself in the middle of the hall so when they come around the corner, you scare them. It doesn't mean you don't tell your kids to go take the trash out just because they get frustrated because they've already done it. That's, that's not what this is about. The reason that we need to do this, the reason that we need to instruct our children without the intention of angering them is so that they will be brought up in the training and admonition of the Lord. They need to realize that the things that we as parents say to them is for their own good. It's not to make them angry, but it's to help them out. Because we know something that they don't. Because we've been on this earth a little bit longer than they have. And we've learned a few things. Like, don't put your hand on the stove. You're going to get burnt. And in the same way that we start to do that, all of a sudden, it then trains them in the way to listen to God. Because all of a sudden, we're then going to realize our Heavenly Father is giving us an instruction. And He's giving us an instruction then as parents and saying, don't anger your children because then it's going to burn them and they'll never want a relationship with me. And so we train them to listen and to not question and even if it's not what I understand, all of a sudden, it's something that I need. You see, dysfunctional families are, are so stingy with grace, but, but Jesus was generous with grace. Jesus was perfect. And now, now none of us have perfect relationships, and, and none of us are going to have perfect children, unless you have a child that is named Logan Verwers, and then you have a perfect child. But you don't have that, so 
You're just without it. Is, is that how you wanted me to say that? Kind of like that? <laughs> but see, none of us have perfect children. None of us have a perfect spouse. None of us are the perfect spouse. But Jesus was perfect. And yet Jesus was full of grace. So we, if we're going to strive to pursue perfection, then we need to be full of grace. Jesus modeled that pattern for us. I mean, I don't think any of us on our wedding day, we, we walk down to the altar and, and as we're getting ready to say our vows, we're thinking, man, this is going to be amazing for about seven years and then I'm done and we're walking out because it's going to be so bad and that's exactly what I'm anticipating. No, none of us go in with that mindset. None of us sit there like in, in the room at the hospital when our child is born, we're like, oh, they're so cute. And I'm so happy that here in about 18 years, they're going to leave me and never want to talk to me again because they're just going to be a rebellious child. None of us ever think that. None of us ever have that intention. And if you do, you're insane and you need to quit it. There's something wrong with you. Seek medical attention. The wiring is not right. No, none of us do that. But yet, here's what happens. Wedding day happens. We get married. Everything's great. It's wonderful. He's amazing. She's amazing. Then all of a sudden, you like wake up and it's like, wow, I didn't realize the morning breath was that bad. Whoa, where are all those noises coming from? So that's what she looks like without makeup on. None of us ever think these things. I'm not talking about you, baby. You're beautiful. But none of us, none of us ever think about that. But yet we all realize marriage has issues that come with it. And there are going to be lots of issues. In the same way that your child is born, you're like, such a precious little chubby ball of bones and fat. It's so cute. Look at those cheeks. They're just amazing. And I love holding them. And then all of a sudden they, they spit up on you. And then you have to change a diaper. And you're thinking, how can something so small produce something so large? And then you, you can't sleep at night because they just keep crying and crying and crying. And we haven't even gotten into like the toddler years or adolescence. And all of a sudden, they start to talk and talk back and then rebel. And parenting has issues. And the same thing, like with our children, I mean, as a child, I mean, it's like you grow up and you're like, I want to be just like dad. He's the biggest. He's the strongest. He's the best. Mom is so amazing. And then as you get a little bit older, you're like, I think my dad's a little dumb. Because he's just doing some stupid things. I'm not sure I should be listening to this man anymore. Something's wrong here. And then all of a sudden, it's like, mom's correcting me for things that I didn't do. I don't think mom knows what's going on. There is something wrong here. Even as children, we realize at some point, our parents have issues. Families have issues. But Christ gave us this pattern and this model to get past this. If we will be full of grace. 
And if I can give you three points as we wrap up, here's how we become full of grace. Here's how families function with being generous with grace rather than being dysfunctional and stingy with grace. And the first thing that we need to do is we need to assume the best. Assume the best. Because for some reason, dysfunctional people, we like to judge others by their actions while judging ourselves by our intentions. Well, I didn't mean to do that. I wasn't trying to do that. But that doesn't matter when we're pointing fingers at somebody else. It doesn't matter what they meant to do. I don't care what you meant to do. You did this. And yet for ourselves, we're like, but I didn't mean to do that. To assume the best, we can't judge others by the actions while judging ourselves by our intentions. Because what that does is that leads to the blame game. Well, you did this and you did that and you did this. And all of a sudden, we're, we're keeping this account of wrongs, all of the things that they have done, all of the things that they have earned. But yet to be generous with grace, we're to give them according to what they haven't earned. When we play the blame game, guess what? Nobody wins. Nobody wins. If we think somebody wins, we have a flawed understanding of the rules of the blame game. If you did something wrong, you lose. And last I checked, according to the Bible, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of the God, which means by those blame game standards, we all lose. But if we want to play the grace game, it doesn't matter what I did because it really matters what Jesus did. And guess what? Because of what Jesus did, we win. And we all win. That is assuming the best. I'm not going to focus on what you did. I'm going to focus on what Christ did. And so the first thing we need to do is to assume the best. The second thing we need to do is fix our behavior. We need to start acting like the kind of spouse that we would want to be married to. Not acting like the spouse we are married to. What do you want to be married to? When you were there on that wedding day, what was the type of spouse that you envisioned in your mind? Start acting like it. As children, you need to sit there and start thinking, I want to start acting like the type of child that I hope I have someday. A type of child that is respectful to me and that listens to me, that obeys me because they know that I love them and I'm looking out for them. And as parents, we should be thinking about how can I be the type of parent that I would have wanted to obey, that I would have wanted to listen to. If we will start doing that and start with ourselves and change our behavior first, fix our behavior first, all of a sudden we start becoming generous with grace because it's not about the spouse that I have. It's not about the child that I have. It's not about the child I will have or, or the parent I do have or did have. It's about what I would want, what is best, and I'm going to behave that way. And the third thing is that we need to make the first move. We need to make the first move. You've got to stop waiting for your spouse to meet me halfway. Christ didn't do that. You've got to stop waiting for your parents to learn how to think the way that you need them to think. And start to understand, you know, you just need to obey. You got to stop waiting for your children to behave the right way before you stop making them angry. No, no, you just, 
Parent them the way you're supposed to parent them. Make the first move. Start being the parent that God has called you to be. Start being the child that God has called you to be. Start being the spouse that God has called you to be. Don't make excuses of, well, they did. Follow that back to Genesis and see how that worked for Adam and Eve. But God, the woman that you gave me, but God, the snake that you let into the garden, do you think that works for God? When all of a sudden we try to excuse our disobedience because of outside circumstances. The simple conclusion for all of us is to just obey Christ. Do what He did. Act like He acted. Speak the way that He spoke. Love the way that He loved. Submit the way that He submitted. That's what we need to do. There's a story that I, I had come across and I read. These two brothers, both farmers, they had this family land and they had kind of split it. One brother, the younger, had this land, the older had this land. And they got into an argument, you know, as brothers tend to do. And I'm assuming from reading this story that the brothers were Dutch because they were quite stubborn. And they just, they wouldn't concede on the argument. They were arguing because the younger brother saw a cow over on the other older brother's farm and he's like, that's my cow. I recognize the spots and the markings. And the older brother's like, what are you doing calling me a thief saying that I stole your cow? I didn't steal anything. This is mine if it's on my land. And they get into this argument and they just stop talking. This goes on for like weeks. Older brother hears a knock on the door one morning and he's like, I'm not expecting anybody. I don't know what's happening here. And he goes ahead and answers and this young man showed up and he's what do you want and he's like well I'm, I'm a carpenter and I'm just kind of passing through the way and I'm looking for just projects if, if anybody has any work that I could do just as I'm kind of going through to help me on my journey old brother sits there and he's thinking about it he's like actually I do have something for you look out that window looks out the window and he's like you see that crick right there that crick wasn't there last week my younger brother did that. He created this crick so I can't get to his side of the farm and, and there's this divide. You know what? I want you to one-up him. I got a bunch of lumber out by the shed. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to build a wall all the way along the property lines. He wants to put a crick in there. I'm going to one-up him and I'm going to put in a wall. Carpenter's like, show me where the lumber is and I can put something together real fast. So he goes, takes him out, shows him where all the lumber is, all the tools, Older brother has to run some errands, so he heads into town. Young carpenter, I mean, he just gets straight to work, just working on this project. Older brother comes back, and he looks out there, and he doesn't see a wall. He sees a bridge. Handrails, beautiful, spanning the creek one side to the other. And the, this carpenter standing over by it, and the old brother, he's furious, and he's heading right over there. And about the time he gets to the bridge, here comes the younger brother walking over, extending a hand. And he's like, brother, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. I would have loved to have built a bridge and tried to do this, but there was no way I was going to be able to do it. Thank you so much. 
I apologize for jumping to conclusions. I'm sorry I just treated you this way and, and created that crick. And all of a sudden, the walls of the older brother are broke down. And he's like, I'm sorry too. I knew that was your cow. I just thought you were calling me a liar and I couldn't take it. He said, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? So they hug and they embrace and the young carpenter starts leaving. Older brother says, hold on, wait a minute. He's like, I, I, I want you to stay. We've got more projects that you can do. Carpenter says, I'd love to, but I can't because I have more, build, or more bridges to build. You see, Christ is like that carpenter where he's building bridges. And he's not just built the bridge from us to our Father. He's trying to build bridges in our families. The bridges that will break that barrier and that barricade that we have put up when our spouse hurts us or our, our child frustrates us or, or, our, or our parents, they just mistreat us. You see, we create these walls, we create these barriers, we create these barricades to protect ourselves. And Christ is trying to break those down by building a bridge and restoring relationships, not just from us and our Father, but from us and each other. And the way that he does that is by giving what we don't deserve. By lavish with this favor, this unmerited favor. And he's saying that we can do the same thing because we can continue the process of crossing that bridge and building other bridges if we'll do what he did and be generous with grace and not stingy with grace. What I think we should be doing is really asking ourselves the question. And not even just the question of what kind of spouse do I want? What kind of child do I want? What kind of parent did I want? Not, not even asking those questions, but instead asking the question of what kind of spouse does God want for me and want me to be? What kind of child does God want for me and want me to be? What kind of parent did God want for me and want me to be? And if we will start everything with looking at Christ and the model that he gave us, all of a sudden our families are no longer dysfunctional, but they're functional. Because we're no longer stingy with grace, but we're full of grace. Let's pray.